Genesis chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When he created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after, the, after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Canaan. Enosh lived after he fathered Canaan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Hear the word of the Lord. Father, give grace now that we might not prematurely conclude that any part of your word has been written in vain. Open our eyes to see you, to understand you, to think your thoughts after you, and to love you with all our heart and all our soul and mind and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I wonder if you know, friends, what the following individuals have in common. I'll read their names. Mr. Charles Bowles, Miss Nanny Burchette, Mr. William Chandler, Mrs. Annie Giles, Miss Vanessa Green, Mr. Edward Jones, Miss Carol Layton, Miss Mary Mills, Miss Angela Monroe, Mr. Thomas Owens, Mr. Kareem Turner, Miss Harriet Murphy. I'll tell you what they all have in common. They all died last week. Some were black, some were white. The oldest was 103. The youngest was 13. Nearly every day, I find time to read the national and world news in our local paper, the Richmond Times-Dispatch. And if you read that paper, you may have noticed that they recently reorganized all the content in those sections, much to my chagrin. And so the local news that used to be in section B is now in section A, and the, the world and national news that used to be in section A is now in section B, and it's all very confusing. But you know what else is in section B? The obituaries are the obituaries. And over the last week, as soon as I've finished finding and then reading the national and world news articles, I found my eyes drifting across the facing page and reading the death notices. They used to be buried in the metro section where I could avoid them. We don't like to think about death. We don't like to talk about death. Few people enjoy that, and if you do, it seems strange. But, but the pictures, those pictures, they stare in my face. I, I can just catch them out of the corner of my eye as I'm trying to stay focused on the news. And it's hard to look away because I think about their families, right? I think about their children. I think about the choices they made, the choices they didn't make, things they failed to do or did do. I I think about their relationship with God and, and though they've all passed away, their faces talk to me. And I'm not saying talk to me in some sort of weird psycho way. I'm not, not icy dead people. (laughs) They talk to me, They, they speak to me and they say this, Matthew, your day is coming. 34 years old, they say to me, your day is coming. And one day, someone's going to read my name on page B5. And you know what, friend? There's a day coming when your name's going to be on page B5 too. And the day of your death is 
nearer this Easter than it was last Easter. And it's nearer today than it was when you fell asleep last night. And though we don't like to talk about death, and it's the subject of which we do not speak, we need to, friends, we need to talk about the meaning of life and the meaning of death. No no subjects are more important. And, And rightly understood, Easter gives us an opportunity to do that. To think and talk about the meaning of life and the meaning of death. And and this genealogy in Genesis 5 may may seem like a strange text for Easter Sunday. When Bob started reading it, I'm thinking again, oh boy, what are we doing? But I tell you what, when I was planning this sermon series, we've been working through Genesis in a series called Recreation as a Church, I hoped earnestly that I would get to preach this chapter on this Sunday. I did, because this text orients us. It's like a compass or a map to to some of the most important realities in the entire Bible, namely the meaning of life, the meaning of death, and to borrow the words of the late Francis Schaeffer, how then we ought to live in light of those things. And I think that understanding what God is saying to us in this chapter is, it's like taking a road trip. How many of you are going to take a road trip for spring break? Any of you planning on going somewhere? Don't be bashful. None of you. Okay, well, good luck working. Um, If you were to take a road trip or you were lying to me and not raising your hand, you know that there are times when you're driving down the highway and, and you're going fast. And as you're going fast, the speed of your travel enables you to to take in the big picture of the country you're working through. And then there are other sections where you really have to pull off the highway and slow down and, and study a particular landmark that seems really important. Maybe you even come, you bring your car to a complete stop so you can take a picture of something that you don't want to forget. If you look at verses one to three, these verses are one of those slow down moments. One of the slow down moments because there's something here that's really important. It's the first lesson God teaches us in this chapter and it's not the first time God has taught this lesson to us in the book of Genesis. But I would appeal to you that God doesn't repeat things because he forgets things. God repeats things because we forget things. And so what God repeats, we better presume we already forgot and we need to remember. So what is the Lord telling us here? First three verses, first point of this message, point number one, life is a sacred gift from God. Life is a sacred gift from God. I, I don't know what you believe, because I don't know all of you in here, I see faces I haven't met before, about how man came to exist. But as a chemistry major, I'll tell you that I find it very hard to believe that the stunning symbiotic complexity of the human body evolved from a microscopic organism. 
And the Bible concurs with that assessment because the Bible says we didn't create ourselves, friends. God created us and he created us in his image. Look at verse one. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. And that means, young person, that your worth as a human being doesn't come from the grades on your report card. It doesn't come from whether it was a good day or a lost my allowance for hitting my brother kind of day. Your dignity and value as a person don't come from a diploma or your net worth or your job title or your physical health or the size of your dress or the achievements of your kids. Your life has incalculable value because you were created in the likeness of God. And it's the eternally infinite worth of his life that gives dignity and value to the life of all who bear his image. Whether that image bearer is being formed in his mother's womb or languishing on a hospital bed. And and if you feel worthless in your own eyes, if you're sitting here this morning thinking, does anybody, I, I hope nobody knows how bad I feel on the inside. And if you've toyed or even toying right now with thoughts of suicide, hear God gently whispering to you in verse one, friend, your life is a sacred gift from the Lord. It's a sacred gift from the Lord. And by the way, that includes your sexuality. Look at verse two. Male and female, he created them. Why is that so important? Well, that's important because there's a physicality to our sexuality that reminds us the image of God isn't limited to some sort of spiritual part of us. The image of God is a whole person thing. Okay, your, your entire person, every part of your physical body, the parts that you like, the parts that you don't like, all of it possesses intrinsic dignity and displays the glory of your creator God. In other words, this means that it's not what you see in the mirror that makes your life valuable. It's what God has imprinted upon you as his image and that cannot be taken away from you that makes your life valuable. Your life is a sacred gift from God, but but God didn't just create us, he blessed us. Notice that, verse two, male and female created them and he blessed them and then he established his authority over us. Keep your eyes on verse two. Okay, to name someone in ancient Near East culture was to exercise authority over them. So when God named the first man and woman man, he not only was giving Adam a a representative leadership authority in the relationship, he was also establishing his authority over men and women alike as their creator king. And make no mistake, friend, it is only in submission to our creator's authority that we find life and we find blessing. You cannot go creating or attaining any genuine blessing in life apart from submission to your creator. They cannot be separated. But the first man and woman tried to. 
They rejected God's authority. They rebelled against his rule. And in Genesis 3, they struck out on their own. They disobeyed God's law and they brought the curse of sin down on them, on their descendants, and on the entire created order. And and we're gonna look more closely at that curse in just a couple minutes. But for right now, I want us to focus on something here. In verse three, think about this. What, What is it that tempts you to wonder if your life or the life of someone else has lost value to the point where it's worthless? What causes us to to lose sight of life as a gift, a sacred gift from God? I think it's two things. One, in many cases, it's the presence of sin. Either wrongs that we've done, therefore my life is worthless, or wrongs other people have done to us. Maybe you've been abused in some way, therefore my life is worthless. It could also be the presence of weakness. Maybe a DNA test suggests that your child who is not yet born will have Down syndrome. Or the doctor tells you that you'll never be able to walk again. In in, in either case, whether whether we're talking about the result of a, a moral decision or the sorrow of just living life in a fallen, broken world, that the continued presence of sin and weakness begs this question as we jump into Genesis chapter five. Here's the question. On this side of the fall, Genesis three, does our life remain a sacred gift from the living God? Or does the presence of sin and weakness functionally obliterate the image of God? Look carefully at verse three. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Why are you getting so excited about that preacher, man? That just feels like a page in the genealogy. Here's why that's so important, okay? Follow the logic here. If Adam was created in the likeness of God and Seth was born in the likeness of Adam, guess what that says about Seth? Seth bears the likeness of God. Even after sin and weakness had entered the world. In other words, the presence of the curse of sin does not obliterate the presence of the image of God. And the reason for that is as an expression of God's common grace, he preserves his image. He protects his image in us even though it's been corrupted by sin. And the fact that Adam named Seth in verse three shows us that even on this side of the fall, we're still able to image God to the world. Why do I say that? Because Adam is simply doing for Seth what God had already done for Adam. Adam's doing what God made him to do, friend. He's exercising God's rule in a corrupted and fallen world on God's behalf, doing what God made him to do. And and we need to remember that, friends. That's, That's the whole point of this first point, that life is a sacred gift from God. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no no matter how much the image of God in you and your own eyes has been corrupted by sin or broken by sin, know this, the image of God remains. As Alan Ross says, even in a cursed world, human beings are in the image of God and may yet serve him and enjoy his blessing. That's the first point. Life is a sacred gift from God. Here's the second point. 
death is the inevitable result of sin. Life is a sacred gift from God. Death is the inevitable result of of sin. The, The contrast between the glory and blessing of verses one to three and and the deathly rhythm that marks the rest of this chapter is striking to say the least. It's jarring. It's designed to get our attention. This is one of the sections back to the highway image where we need to get back on the main road and we start driving quickly to make sure we don't miss the big picture. So look at verse four. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Canaan. Enosh lived after he fathered Canaan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. The first thing I noticed when I was reading this passage is, my goodness, people were living a long time back then. (laughs) But that's not the main point. Though it's true, the main point is that they all died. And death is not what you would expect on the heels of the blessing in verse two. And yet, it's precisely what we find. Eight times from verse five to verse 31, and he died, 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 and he died. It was a physical fulfillment of the promise God had made all the way back in Genesis 2.16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat, or when you eat of it, you shall surely die. Friends, that was a really simple command. It wasn't complicated, it was simple. It it was God's way of saying, Adam, trust me. Trust me, Adam, I know what is best for you because I made you. I'm the creator, you're the creature. If you're willing to submit to my good purposes, you will live. But if you run from the protection of my authority, if if you run from the author of life and the giver of life, Adam, you will die. And yet that's precisely what Adam did. He ran, he rebelled. And eventually, verse five, and he died. God created him from dust and to dust he returned. And that curse, the curse of death, was a curse that he passed on to all his descendants. So Seth died, and Enosh died, and Canaan died, and Mahalalel died, and Jared died, and on and on and on and on. And and from our perspective, I mean, death is so common, let's be honest, that it almost feels normal. I mean, you can only read page B5 in the paper so many times and and not have it start to feel normal. Not fun, but normal. It's Apparently, it's just how life works. One day you're born, and the next day you die. But friend, if you read Genesis 5, 
in light of Genesis 1 and 2, you know that death is anything but normal. It's natural in the sense that it is the inevitable result of Adam's sin and rebellion and it's, it's passed on to all of us as his descendants as a result and we just compound his sin with our own sin and rebellion. So it's natural in that sense, but it's not normal. It's abnormal because it's not the way God created the world to be. Think about this. In the Garden of Eden, Adam, Adam's body was perfectly healthy. I mean, every time he got a physical, you're great, man. You want to be a doctor? I mean, he was perfectly healthy, immune to decay, protected from death. And then he sinned. And I don't know when he first started to notice it, but I can imagine the fear that began to grip his heart when he realized I'm aging. Not as strong as I used to be. I used to be able to to pick up my kids to, to bounce Seth on my knee. But I can't anymore. He grew older, he grew older until, until one day he died. And death in scripture is the the climax of corruption. It's the final devastation. It's the ultimate enemy. And it, it echoes throughout this chapter, friends, like, like a ringing indictment on the sin of man. And it's waiting for you. Death is waiting for you. Unless the Lord returns first, you will die because of the curse of sin. One day your heart it's going to stop beating. One day your lungs are going to stop moving. Your, your body will grow cold. It could happen to you at 103. It could happen to you at 13. It could happen to you tonight. And I don't say that to scare you. I say that to warn you. Because the reality of death and aging is God's way of getting your attention. It's it's God's way of telling us something's not right. Something's not the way it was meant to be. And, And on one level, I'm convinced we all instinctively know that. Why? Because we fear death. We don't talk about death. We try to hold it at bay for as, as long as possible. And, and this world really helps us, doesn't it? Because this world is just full of distractions. Pick one. Whatever distraction you prefer, it's available to you. We, we know our day's coming, but instead of thinking about the meaning of death and the significance of death, we, we just bury our head in the sand and, and watch Netflix and drink sleep around and, 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 and he can even do godly things, work, serve in the church. And, and meanwhile, the whole time, we're, we're not even thinking about the future. Not thinking about death. We're just entertaining ourselves. And that's why a list of obituaries, which by the way is what Genesis 5 is, 
Okay, it's, it's, just a, it's just a long obituary. It's an ultimate gift. It's a gift because it shatters our illusion that, that if we can acquire all the comforts and conveniences of middle-class American life, that everything's gonna be okay. It's not okay, friends. It's not okay. It's not okay because one day you're gonna die. That's not okay. And that reality, the the fast approaching day of your death has a meaning, it has a significance that is fundamentally spiritual. What is that meaning? What's the meaning? You keep talking about this meaning of death, Matthew. What is it? The meaning of death is that all of us are under the curse of sin. Means that one day we will lose the gift of life because we are separated from the author of life. And all the way through verse 20, look there with me. Death appears to have the final word. But then we're told of a man named Enoch. Look at verse 22. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not. For God took him. Do you know he's the only person in the entire chapter who doesn't die? If you're familiar with your Old Testament, it may be triggering memories of the prophet Elijah, 2 Kings, too, where, where God, like Enoch, he, he simply takes him home to heaven. So, so one moment, he's living on earth. The next moment, God's brought him home to glory. No death. And here's the big question. Keep your eyes on verse 22. Why did Enoch escape death? Well, it's very simple. He escaped death because he walked with God. He walked with God. Think about it, okay? What what did Adam do in Genesis 3.8 when he heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden? He hid. He ran away from God. You know what Enoch did? The exact opposite. He ran toward God. He walked with God. Why? Because he trusted God, friend. He trusted God. He he trusted that God was able to make right all that sin had made wrong, and he trusted that God would be faithful to make right all that sin had made wrong. Point number three, deliverance from death is the reward of faith. The reward of faith, Hebrews 11, verse five. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. This wasn't just a special effects moment, okay? This was a faith moment. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
may not have known that that familiar verse is actually tied to Enoch. And Hebrews 11 really helps us understand that when, when Genesis 5 says Enoch walked with God, it doesn't mean Enoch was a religious boy scout or he was just a good person, okay? He inherited a sinful nature. He, he experienced firsthand the effects of the curse of sin no less than every other descendant of Adam or us. He's not an exception to Romans 3.23 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no except Enoch on that. But the curse of sin they didn't have the final word in his life. Why not? Because he was a man of faith. He was a sinner like you and me who nevertheless pleased God by trusting God to deliver him from the curse of sin. And, and notice Enoch's posture, keep your eyes on verse 28, his posture of complete trust and, and total dependence. It didn't just grant Enoch acceptance by God or proximity to God, as if God's some sort of celebrity and, hey, Enoch, you can walk behind me. No, no, it gave Enoch a close and intimate relationship with God. That's the picture. This word for walking is the same word the Greek version of the Old Testament translates in Hebrews 11 as pleasing. It's an intimate walking, a, a close spiritual fellowship, a real tight relationship. And I love how Marcus Dodd describes this, this gritty reality of faith. Listen, things were not made easy to Enoch. In evil days with much to mislead him, with everything to oppose him, he had by faith and diligent seeking, as Hebrews says, to cleave to the path on which God walked. Often left in darkness, often thrown off the track, often listening but unable to hear the footfall of God or to hear his own name called upon, receiving no sign but still diligently seeking the God he knew would lead him only to God. That's faith. It's not rosy, it's not easy, it's, it's gritty, it's hard, it's, it fights through suffering and pain. But because Enoch was a man of faith, because he walked with God, the Lord delivered him from the curse of death. Now, now listen, that does not mean that Enoch is the only person in the entire Genesis 5 genealogy who trusted God to deliver them. It simply means that Enoch is a striking example of one of the most important truths in the entire Bible, namely that the only way for death to be defeated in your life is for relationship with God to be restored in your life. That's the principle. As Gerhardus Voss says, when communion with God has been restored, there, and I might add there only, deliverance from death is bound to follow. And that, friends, is why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is such incredibly good news. Okay, look at verse 28. We're back on the highway. Now we're back off the highway. We're going to slow down. Verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son. and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, 
because of our sin. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Do you know what the genealogy in Genesis 4 culminates in? A murderer named Lamech. You know what the genealogy of Seth ends with? Another man named Lamech. But the difference between the two is, is striking. Couldn't be more striking. So, so the former boasts of the severity of his vengeance. The latter cries out with the hope of deliverance. And, and though God didn't take the Lamech in Genesis 5 home to glory the same way he took Enoch, Lamech's hope was not in vain. How do we know that? Because he named his son Noah which sounds like the Hebrew word for rest or, or comfort. And in Genesis 6 through 9, God uses Noah to bring salvation in the midst of judgment. If you're not familiar with this story, he builds an ark through which God preserves a remnant of mankind in the midst of a great flood that represents God's wrath against the sin of the world. But the relief Noah brought was only temporary. The ultimate fulfillment of of Lamech's hope was yet to come. But friends, one day when the world didn't expect it or see it coming, the Lord worked an eternal deliverance from the curse of sin. Through one of Noah's descendants through the line of Shem, only this time he didn't, he didn't bring a man and his family out of an ark. He raised the son of God up from the tomb. 1 Corinthians 15. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as an Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and then it is coming, those who belong to Christ. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. As we sang this morning, oh, death, Paul writes, where is your victory? It's taunting death. He'd be a good Eagles fan. <laughs> oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're celebrating on Easter Sunday, friends. That's, that's the glory of the gospel. What's that? That Jesus Christ bore our curse. And Jesus Christ died our death. And, and the infinite worth of his life so exceeded the crushing weight of our sin that a just God could not leave him in the grave. That's why he was resurrected. And God raised him up, proving once and for all that the power of God to save is greater than the power of death to destroy. And by enduring death, Jesus conquered death. And so will all who trust in him. Because faith, what's faith do? The faith of 
Enoch, the faith of Noah, the faith of Lamech. Your faith and mine, faith in Christ unites us to Christ such that his life becomes your life and his death becomes your death and and his resurrection guarantees your resurrection. By the way, that's not legal fiction. That's the reward of faith. As John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes faith. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Friends, I'll conclude with this. God longs to do for you the very same thing he did for Enoch. To deliver you from the curse of death and grant you the gift of eternal life with him. All that is required for that is faith. It's it's not blind belief. Remember, I'm a chemistry major. I I like facts. It's not a leap in the dark. It's It's not a work of merit. I put in a coin of faith, God gives goodies. No, it's sturdy, informed trust in the person of Jesus that reveals itself in a life dedicated, devoted to following Jesus in every area of your life. That is what faith looks like. Enoch didn't believe in the idea of God. Yeah, I'm a person of faith. No, Enoch didn't go to church. Enoch didn't change some bad moral habit with a little help from the man upstairs. You know what Enoch did? He walked with God. He was serious. He followed God. And that's precisely, friend, what faith in Christ demands from you and me. Are you willing to follow? Are you willing to obey? John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they what? They follow me. If you're not following Christ, don't try to convince me you have faith in him. They're one and the same. They follow me. I give them, Jesus says, I give them eternal life if they follow me and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Hear the word of God to you today. Your life is a sacred gift from God. That death is the inevitable result of sin. But though your physical body may die, if you are a Christian, your soul will remain very much alive. Enjoying life in the very presence of God himself until Jesus returns and and grants you a new body. As Paul says, a a resurrection body, an imperishable body in which you will live with the Lord forever. We, We would not have that hope, friends, if Jesus Christ hadn't risen from the grave. We'd still be waiting and and longing and languishing in the curse of sin, but Christ has risen. It's a historical fact. And because Christ rose, one day all who are in him by faith, you too will rise. There there are sermons where I give you the big idea up front and then we talk about it. I did the opposite this morning. So the last thing I wanna tell you is the big idea of all this. What's that? Those who walk with God through faith will be delivered from the curse of death. That's it. That's Genesis 5. 
By the way, that's kind of the story of the whole Bible. It's the good news of Easter. Those who walk with God through faith will be delivered from the curse of death. Your name might be on page B5 of the paper this week. I could be on this stage doing your funeral next Sunday. But friend, if you're in Christ, if you're walking with Christ, death will not have the final word in your life. It's not going to get the final word. It's not going to get the parting shot. It's not like your older brother. (laughs) For Jesus Christ, God has taken our worst enemy and made it the doorway into our greatest joy. That's what he's done. And my prayer, friends, is that that hope would give you strength in the midst of your suffering and joy in the midst of your pain. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. We are so thankful for the assurance in your word that those who walk with you through faith in you will be delivered from the curse of death. And we're especially grateful on this day, Lord, that you haven't said merely, believe that because I say so. But you have every right to. Lord, you have said that. You, as it were, spoke that all the way back in Genesis 5. But then Jesus Christ, on the day you rose from that grave, you confirmed that promise. You made good on that promise. You validated your word. You proved your word. You secured your word. And you guaranteed your word of resurrection for all who would ever trust in you. And so we pray today, whether we know your name or not yet, that you would make us men and women of sturdy, gritty, Christ-centered faith. And that we would navigate the sorrows of this life and the suffering of this life with the joy set before us that in you, our resurrection's coming. And that in you, one day, we're going to get to join you and see you and love you for you are the firstborn from the dead that in everything you might be preeminent.